0: Just one day after I got my COVID-19 booster shot, making me officially triple-vaxxed and happy as can be about it, I had a conversation with the extremely talented writer, Brendan Burrell, author of The First Shots, The Epic Rivalries and Heroic Science Behind the Race to the Coronavirus Vaccine. This book is one of the most well-written, digestible books about an extremely complex topic. The race between Moderna and Pfizer to put shots in arms and make a dent in the pandemic that affected and continues to affect all of us. I have never been more fascinated by science in my life. I cried when I got my first dose of the vaccine and remain so thankful for science for getting us this far, though I realize globally there's a ways to go. Let me tell you a little about Brendan. He's a correspondent for Outside Magazine, and his work regularly appears in the New York Times, National Geographic, The Atlantic, and Bloomberg Businessweek. His first book, The First Shots, has already been optioned for an HBO series. Take a listen to our conversation. Brendan, welcome to the show. As I just told you, offline. This is one of the most well-written, compelling books I've read in a long time. So we have a lot to unpack here. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. And thank you for, uh, I'm so happy that you love the book.
0: Oh, So good. So good. So first off, I'd love to know what compelled you to write this book as, you know, of course, this is such a loaded topic with so many continually moving parts, even up to the present day.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, I was, I was actually pretty afraid of writing this book to tell you the truth. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm a freelance journalist. I write about science a lot. I've written about weird infectious diseases and kind of at the beginning of the pandemic, like everybody else, I was kind of frozen just, you know, watching what the, you know, the latest news from the New York Times and kind of wondering how, how I could contribute. And when, um, you know, around April, it was sort of the chatter was like, hey, the only way out of this pandemic is to produce a vaccine. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and my agent suggested that I write a, a book about that. And I'm like, oh, man, I have to compete with all of these big, big shot reporters at the daily newspapers and so on. And they're just like, you can do it, Brendan. And I'm so glad I did because I I was I just I, I managed to get the access that I wanted and pull off something that, that I had no idea was possible.
0: And no, it's so. so good. And like I just told you offline, I want to repeat it on on yeah. the record is that it's it's obviously all true in, in nonfiction, but it's as compelling as if you're reading a novel and it's 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 this this topic could be really dense you know, it can be really textbooky, but this is not that. It's so well reported. So what was the most fascinating piece of research you uncovered? What surprised you as you were writing this book?
1: Well, what, what one of the things that surprised me is I'm not a politics reporter. I don't, I barely know how government works, yeah. but I had to go deep for this, you know, because this book I wanted to tell the, story, the inside story of how Operation Warp Speed was created and how it emerged from this incredibly dysfunctional administration and COVID response, as we all experienced. So, how yeah. did this incredibly successful program emerge? And so, I, I think, you know, I, I, I got the pieces together, the science, and then started talking to these government folks. And the thing that blew me away was just how dedicated civil servants are. And how interesting and passionate a bureaucrat can be. One of the guys I talked to a lot was Peter Marks, who's the head of this office that will that oversees vaccine regulation. <laughs> and he's like this very skinny, geeky guy. <laughs> um, and, uh, and but but he's just like he loves the, his job. He loves regulating drugs and vaccines, and yeah. uh, and that that was exciting for me. Yeah.
0: So at what point in the vaccine rollout process did you start writing this book and when when did it all begin at, at what point did you start conceptualizing
1: Oh man well I mean it's it changed a lot but I I proposed this book in I think I wrote the proposal in May 2020 um, okay. just it was like a few days before operation warp speed was even kind of made public uh-huh. um so uh and, and then I was I I I I started working on the book in, in June and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, had to, I was reaching out to all these different vaccine companies at that point. We, we didn't know it was just, you know, like Moderna and Pfizer were getting, you know, in hindsight, you're like, oh, those are the big companies. There were over a hundred companies yeah. working on COVID vaccines, little tiny players vying for government funding. Yeah. And I was trying to sort of get inside those companies while I was also trying to understand what was happening inside the Trump administration. So it was like this complete scramble. And there were so many moments of doubt for me where, you know, cause I knew I wanted to put this thing together where all the characters were somehow connected and interacting in some way. And to do that, it's like taking a gigantic tree and trimming it till you just have the branches that work. And that's that was the process over the next- a year
0: i would say that you were flying the plane while still building the plane and there, there is such a huge cast of characters we're going to get into a couple of them that i found super compelling in just a second but i have to tell you the book hooked me instantly with the teddy roosevelt daring greatly quote if you if you say daring greatly quote at the as the epigraph of your book i'm instantly sold so um it's important to note that as the book states quote he said it was like a piece of software that just needed to be updated for the latest outbreak. Someone asked him how long he thought that would take. We don't have a timeline yet. Is it Bansel, right? Uh huh. Bansel said, um, this has never been done before. So in quote, so I think it's important for you to explain to the listeners, just in case they don't already know this, that the vaccine didn't come from nowhere, right? They didn't start from scratch. Can you kind of explain that?
1: The, the the rate at which we produced this vaccine was, of course, awe inspiring, and people are like, "Wow!" Yes, you know, break, um,
0: yay break, science! Break, like seriously, break, the totally. the miracle of science. Yeah,
1: breaking all these records, but there was this 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 backstory here with all these pieces that had been coming together over years and decades, even. I mean, the mRNA technology, people had been dreaming of, you know, deploying a vaccine with mRNA since you know the nineties. And it was kind of like Stefan Bonsell, who you mentioned, the CEO of Moderna. You know, his company had been around for 10 years honing their process. They didn't have an approved product on the market. There were a lot of doubts, but they had actually tested it in like a couple of flu vaccines right before the, this pandemic broke out. So they were kind of getting very close and they needed something to push them over the line. And then in terms of the coronavirus specifically, um, the, you know there were, there were researchers that had sort of prototype vaccines for other types of coronaviruses, and they were able to very rapidly pivot and adapt those strategies to this one.
0: Yeah, so obviously, as you just said, the timeline to roll out the vaccine was insane and unprecedented in the best way. Um, how quickly did it all come together?
1: <laughs> I mean, from the, the coronavirus sequence was uploaded online on January 11th in China, uh, and people were—that's the starting gun, right? And then yeah. uh, the first uh, doses of Moderna's vaccine went into the Phase One clinical trial on March 16th, um, and we had a, a you know successful clinical trial by the middle of November. So uh, it was a very rapid process—eleven months um, from sequence to approval. So amazing!
0: Amazing is 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 right. So. As I said before, there's quite a cast of characters in this book. Obviously, you, as you said before, you don't write about politics, but the Trump administration plays a huge part in the vaccine rollout. Without getting political, this is not a political show. How did the Trump administration impact the rollout for better or for worse?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the, I, I think the, 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 the picture I paint in my book is, you know, even in, you know, an administration, a conservative administration, there are a lot of different players and, and kind of like I highlight Bob Cadlick, He's this assistant secretary for preparedness and response. And he's like, you know, he's like a military guy. He's kind of like, you know, sort of an old school Republican to some degree, mm-hmm. but he's, you know, thrust into this this chaotic Trump administration, um, but he's he's always trying to do the right thing. He's thinking about the American people. He's thinking how do we get out of the pandemic, and the politics is just noise for him. But in terms of kind of like what was going on at the White House, I mean, the goal of Operation Warp Speed was to keep the White House out of it, to keep the chaos that was happening at the at the top of the chain of command. Away from the 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 doers, the people like General Perna who we saw on TV. This is the four star general running warp speed and Montsef Slawi and the teams that were doing the science. Um, And by and large, you know, there. I mean, there are a few close calls. And I think it's it's you know, you say you don't want to talk about politics in the book, but it's a very important theme in my book is how sort of policymakers interact with scientists and bureaucrats, how they're supposed to, how they're not supposed to because that's a very controversial topic. Absolutely. Um, And I think, I mean, even under the Biden administration with like the rollouts of the boosters, we've seen sort of this crosstalk between like the White House and the the folks at the FDA. And so this is a a challenge that we've never worked out um, under under either administration. A, A pandemic requires some measure of unity, some sort of speaking with one voice to the American public. And that's hard because science, science, you know, hurting scientists is like hurting cats. So,
0: I, I look, I've reported about a lot of things in my career. Science has never really been one of them. So, um, to think of you undertaking this is 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 monumental. From where I sit, I'm so much respect. So, I'm going to quote a little from the book you write, quote, the team had discovered what they believed to be a design for a vaccine that would target many, if not all coronaviruses, as you mentioned just a minute ago, but they had yet to prove it worked in a real outbreak. Well, here comes this real outbreak. How did they get from that point on a very high level? um, If if, listeners, if you want to know the full story, you can get the book, but um, how did they get from that point to putting shots in arms of the mass population?
1: yeah, so I mean, you're quote you're quoting the moment that they that they had a, a design and they sort of, you know, had this strategy. So I mean, the coronavirus has this spike on it. Um, and one of the things was you want to create basically a dummy spike that your body can learn to develop antibodies to. And so they were they were there at that point. They had this theoretical vaccine. They had to put it into mice to sort of look at whether the mice produce the right antibody response. Um, look for any adverse effects. There was this great fear that a vaccine can sometimes make the immune system go haywire and have mm-hmm. a, even a negative consequences when, when you get the real infection. And so they would ne- needed to make sure that wasn't going to happen. Um, and so they began with all these animal experiments. And each one, you know, each step of the way, they were saying, yes, this is working. This is working. They get into monkeys. This is working. All right, all systems go. We're going to put this into the first people. And uh, you know, that, that, uh, the first clinic moment in a clinical trial is, is you just inject a couple people they're they're the sentinels, make sure there's no strange safety reaction. Um, and you know, indeed it was good. So they expanded the trial. And so over the next several months, you end up in 30,000 people, this massive unprecedented clinical trial amid, a uh, uh, the winter wave of coronavirus in, in twenty twenty and and that's when we t- you know finally figured out about, yes this thing works it works better than anybody ever anticipated.
0: I want to tell you a real time update. I got my booster, my COVID booster yesterday. Oh, yeah. so How are and you I- feeling? I'm okay. My arm, my left arm is killing me. I would like to remove it at the moment, Um, but, and I feel a little puny, but honestly, not that bad. It's not, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, And I never, for all three of the shots, I never felt the shot ever. I I said, you're done. You did it already. Uh Yeah, we're done. And I never felt it. Unbelievable. And I have such an aversion to needles and I'm just telling anybody that's listening that hasn't gotten the vaccine. I am sitting here living proof. I just got my third dose of it and you hear me speaking and I think I sound okay. So, um, March 11th I remember tw- of 2020 I remember this day I remember everything about this day and what I was doing and where I was and that was the day that you write that the COVID-19 became real to the world it had for a while it was just in China and then all of a sudden here here we are it's 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 hitting home so as you write quote these two rivals were now racing each other on a global stage. Only one could be first. So let's talk a little bit about the rivals and what Project Warp Speed is. You mentioned it a minute ago, but dive into that for us, for those that might not know.
1: Well, the two rivals are Moderna and Pfizer. And, you know, they're kind of like twins separated at birth because uh, they both rely on this mRNA technology uh Moderna was the early you know the early starter um it was you know it was working with the National Institutes of Health from the beginning of January um and uh and you know got its vaccine into people first Pfizer basically has this partner in Germany called BioNTech and they uh basically turned them down early on this is a very typical thing in the vaccine business, the big players did not, you know, were sitting on the sidelines. Merck, Sanofi, they're like, yeah, this thing's going to go away on its own. Um, but it was only later that Pfizer called, you know, BioNTech again and they're like, hey, actually, you know, we're we're going to reconsider. We would like to be part of the vaccine race. Yeah. Um, and so uh yeah, the, the, the vaccine goes in the Moderna's vaccine gets uh Injected into the first people in that phase one clinical trial, the next day Pfizer issues a press release that they're going for it too, um, and so that was that was the beginning of this competition because Pfizer is such a bigger company, they had the wherewithal to actually fund their entire development process. Moderna was needed cash, and they needed they ended up relying on the government. The program Operation Warp Speed gave mm-hmm. them the money to scale up their manufacturing and their testing and all of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and yeah and so warp speed is is sort of the core of, of the book in many ways because this is this this giant government initiative um, that was kind of bubbled up from insiders in the trump administration to address the vaccine um, development process to hand out billions of dollars to the vaccine makers um, allow them to pre-manufact you know start manufacturing their vaccines even before they've Proved effective, and this kind of took the business risk out of the game for all these companies, and helped us really, uh, certainly helped us get this vaccine out by uh, the end of
0: 2020. Yeah, it's 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 such a good book. And writer to writer here for a moment, you have a brilliant way of humanizing people. These are um, characters that maybe we've seen their names, some of them maybe we haven't, but. I love this passage. And, and if you'll oblige me, I'd like to. I, I'm sure it's weird to hear people read your own words, but I'm 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 gonna do it because I really love this passage. It makes it makes it feel so human. This is from the book, quote: Graham was in his home office and he became very quiet vaccines against respiratory viruses were never that effective he thought these those efficacy numbers put the covid-19 vaccine in the highest ranks up there with the measles vaccine and then it continues it looks like it works he murmured Almost immediately he retreated back to his office. He collapsed into his chair and sobbed. The tension he had been holding in his body for 11 months was released with the recognition that the vaccine design revolution he had helped set in motion had succeeded. Pfizer's mRNA vaccine was almost identical to Moderna's. For the vaccinologist from Kansas, a win for one was a win for all. First of all, I'm originally from Kansas, so I was so proud to read this. Um, But one of the most compelling characters in the book is Dr. Bob. So who is Dr. Bob and what was his impact?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so Dr. Bob is this guy I told you about, uh, Bob Cadillac, he's this, he He's this legend in the biosecurity world, which was a very, very small world in Washington until this last year. Um, I mean, he, he's this amazing guy who'd been, you know, multi, you know he'd, he'd been an Air Force flight surgeon, special operations, worked in the CIA intelligence, and then, and worked on the Homeland Security Council under George W. Bush. Trump comes into office, Cadillac is called to run this office called the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, which is like this obscure branch of the health department, tiny compared to like, say, the CDC or the NIH. Um, And uh, like Dr. Bob's family is like, we don't want you working for Trump. They were very opposed to it. Um, and, uh, but but he's like, they're calling me and I got to answer the call. And so sort of Catholic story is very complicated. He's, you know, everybody I talked to says he's like super, you know, he's super dedicated um, to just doing right by the American people, but he's navigating this just tricky political situation. He's got you know people working for him who don't like him and are uh, and just all these conflicts he's dealing with. The health department's falling apart under COVID. And, you know he doesn't have the resources he needs. And out of this, you know he he's kind of the guy who who helps design what becomes Operation Warp Speed. Um, and so and and once sort of Operation Warp Speed gets going, he's he's going back to doing all of his other duties. And he's always kind of like on the verge of getting fired by Trump um, and, uh, and kind of, I've I just found his story really poignant. It seemed like a really, the right sort of shoulder to sort of be standing behind watching these, these things unfold. He's not like the t- top guy in the totem pole. He's not the guy like General Perna running the show but he's like this, the perfect observer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so, no, I mean, I found him uh, uh, just a, a really compelling character.
0: I love Dr. Bob. I think he's he my favorite character.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So um, the book chronicles so many of the standout triumphs and trials of the race to the vaccine. What do you hope readers take away from the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we started this where we talked about how, you, you know, compelling you found it, that it reads like a novel. I mean, that was, that was kind of my goal is, going when i was writing the book and experiencing you know when we were seeing the news about covid it was a, i mean it was just very upsetting to all of us it's dark there was tragedy taking place and i i wanted people i wanted to document that in my book absolutely but i also wanted to sort of capture what it was like to be on the inside to be trying to do something about it and just the excitement the energy the the ups and downs of that that experience of trying to stop a pandemic, um, and so I, you know, first off, I want people to read the book to kind of have have that experience, which I don't think we've gotten from other journalism. Um, and then I guess you know the second thing is is you know I, I want people to to re, you know understand how these vaccines actually got made and the kind of thought that went into them. You mentioned Barney Graham. I, I capture and I tell the story of just how careful he is, just how hard it is to make a vaccine. You know, the, you know these things, they move fast, but you know, the, the thing about a vaccine is you're giving it to healthy people. You're giving it to millions of healthy people. So the rare side effect is a problem. And that is front and center on Barney Graham's mind. That's front and center on the regulator, Peter Marks's mind. Yeah. And so I, I try to explain how these people deal with these, these problems in a very nuanced way
0: you you do a great job so obviously this my last question for you is um this is still an evolving story will there be a sequel and where do we go from here
1: <laughs> well yeah i i had to cut the book off at some point right um, and it was kind of painful because uh you know i i i, I decided that that january 20th when the uh, at the end of the trump administration was a natural break for many of my characters um, but I knew that the COVID story continued. We've seen these variants emerge. We know that there are other looming threats on the horizon. Um, and uh and yeah, I think I think with, with the latest news, there was some news just in the last couple of days that Pfizer has a new COVID drug that's incredibly yeah. effective. The pill. Adding to yeah, adding to Merck's drug. I mean, when you when you combine all of these interventions, we we have basically crushed the pandemic here in the US, the global story, which I originally hoped to have in my book, but did not. I mean, that's still unfolding. And I, I hope that we get the vaccines out to the rest of the world, and some of these drugs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, and, and the next chapter is how are we going to prepare for the next pandemic?
0: The next book, maybe? I don't know, <laughs> just putting it out there. Okay. All the right. Well, continues. that continues
1: uh well yeah you know you like this one so much i gotta do i gotta do a follow-up
0: yes and i expect fully to be in the acknowledgments because this was my idea you heard it here first on i'd rather be reading (laughs) well the first shots the epic rivalries and heroic science behind the race to the coronavirus vaccine is out now thank you so much for being here today
1: thanks a lot for having me
0: As a writer, I aspire to explain complex topics as cleanly and succinctly as Brendan did in this book. Friends, just a reminder to let me know what you're reading and what you're loving at hello, I'd rather be reading at gmail.com. And as always, follow, rate, and review our show. It truly means so much to me. Next week, we've got two ladies that will blow you away. Stacey Johnson-Batiste, best friend since childhood of Vice President Kamala Harris, and Lana Wood, sister of actress Natalie Wood. We'll be back on Monday with more. Have a great weekend.